Welcome to Radical Abundance. I'm your host, Teresa Jansen. Have you ever felt like the world is just completely unjust? And have you maybe even been a victim of that injustice? Knowing that God is sovereign and in control and can even use evil and injustice to bring about his good purpose is what we're going to be talking about today. Our guests, Rusty and Sandra Labuskakni, have a lot to say about how God will use anything, even something as extreme as being imprisoned in a foreign country, to bring about his good purpose. Rusty and Sandra, welcome to Radical Abundance. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you. Lovely to be on your podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I want to just jump into your story, and I know a little bit about it. Take our listeners back to that time where the story begins, the heart of the story. What happened? Teresa, I come from humble beginnings, from a cattle ranching background, became very successful. And in 2000, during the land invasion chaos in Zimbabwe, I got to the place where I was flying my own aircraft. I had five safari concessions, a fishing resort on Lake Kariba in Zimbabwe. And life was fantastic. And I was on a fishing trip at my fishing resort with some friends. And a friend of mine and I decided to go tiger fishing on the lake, leaving the other guys bream fishing in the river. And on our way back, we spotted two fish poachers in a steel boat. And knowing they were notorious poachers, I drove my boat towards them to scare them off. And the wake of my boat tilted their boat, causing them to jump out into the water, which was about five, five feet deep, and they were about three yards from the shore. They soon scrambled to dry land, and my friend and I, I then watched as they ran away into the bush and thought nothing more of it. The following day, the police arrived with one of the poachers and accused us of drowning the other one. But long story short, I was framed by the poacher, the police, and the courts in an ugly, politically influenced conspiracy and sentenced to 15 years in Zimbabwe's prisons, of which five were removed as remission. My co-accused only got a $10 fine and was set free because he was not driving the boat. And that's exactly as it was stated in the judgment. Against police evidence, without a body and on presumptions, I was convicted of and served 10 years in Zimbabwe's prisons. I can't imagine that Zimbabwe's prisons are very comfortable. And so maybe you can give us a, a bit of a picture of that. But first, this very idea of knowing that you are completely in, innocent. In fact, you were doing the right thing, trying to scare oh. off these poachers. And oh, well. boy... Have you ever been dinged for doing the right thing? And that's a pretty big thing there to spend 10 years in a Zimbabwe prison as a result. What were those next 10 years like for you? You arrive at the prison and the first thing they do is they make you strip naked. So when you walk into into the exercise yard, you walk in stark naked and everything you wear, read, write, eat, drink, hear, say, is all controlled. You have no control of anything. But the humiliation of me walking into a prison with a thousand guys stark naked is something else. I shared a cell 13 yards long by three yards wide with 78 other guys. Each person had 13 inches marked out on the walls in chalk. That was your space. 
We were packed like sardines on our sides, with legs all crossing over in the middle. We all faced the same direction. When you turned over, it was all together. As cushioning against the cold concrete floor, you'd fold two of your paper-thin, worn-out, last-ridden blankets, several times to fit your 13 inches, and you'd cover yourself with a third blanket. Your clothes were wrapped around your toothbrush and toothpaste, or the head gets stolen, and that was your pillow. From sleeping on those freezing hard floors, my hips had bruised black rings for years, and shoulders still give trouble today. There are no, there is no furniture whatsoever in a prison in Zimbabwe. There's no beds, tables, chairs, cupboards, nothing. Not even a mirror. I didn't see my face for the first eight years. It's just rows of filthy folded blankets and hundreds of well-used water bottles on bare concrete floors. For the first eight years, only one set of clothing was allowed at any one time. Underwear was forbidden. After six months, you got a change of clothing. Sometimes. Other times, after nine months. Leaving us walking around in tatters. There were no basins or taps in the cells. And only one set of clothing was allowed at any one time. So we had to wash our clothes in the cell toilets at night, wearing a blanket. Then hang them on the walls with smuggled book staples to dry by the next morning. In 2005, Harare City ran out of water. For three years, while in Chigurubi Maximum Security Prison, each prisoner was allocated only one plastic cup of water a day. One cup of dirty orange city runoff water from a nearby dam carried by farm prisoners. That was to drink, clean your teeth, wash your face, bath, everything for three years. And that's when guys really started dying. In my first six years, I watched over 2,200 guys die, primarily from malnutrition. It was during the Zimbabwe dollar crash when there was no food outside of prison, never mind in there. Now just remember, I went in prison in 2003 and I was released in 2013. So there was the Zim dollar crash, there was the world economic crash in 2008. So, and the whole world changed, Teresa, from... From the thought of taking a picture with a phone and sending it to someone, that was like Star Wars. In 2013, I mean, all the social media, everything started in that time. In the first, in, in, when I was moved to a medium security prison in Harare Central Prison, out of 1,200 of us prisoners at Harare Central Prison, 432 guys died. That's more than one third of us in eight months. I want to get to some of the life lessons I learned in there. In, in my first year, I was full of anger, hatred, and bitterness. I mean, you know, when you go in there as an innocent man, it eats away at you on, on every level. It's just anger, bitterness, hatred. And, and I lie there for hours wishing every terrible thing on each of them in turn, the poacher, the police, the judge, the ministry, and all who were involved in my conviction. And then one day, I was struck by the realization that they'd all forgotten about me long ago. Here I was consumed by the unfairness of it all, and they, blissfully unaware of the, of the evil I washed on them every day. In the end, I was only hurting myself. I was carrying all that in my head and beating myself up for nothing. The single biggest lesson I learned in prison was true forgiveness. And for me, it was bigger than anything I could have achieved on my own. True forgiveness was inspired by God Almighty, and so was letting go. It was a huge weight of my shoulders. And I learned to live in the moment from then on. 
because the past was too painful and the future full of unkept promises. So I just dealt with each day as it was. I learned to have faith because no amount of worrying was going to change what I was going through. If you have anger or resentment towards anyone in any way, it will eventually destroy you because that is what those emotions do. They steal from you. They steal happiness and freedom. And many people ask me how I managed to forgive them for what they did to me. And I remember the exact moment, Teresa, walking in that exercise yard. It was after about a year. And I was tired of all the anger, hatred, and bitterness that was draining me daily. And I remember looking up and I just said to myself, Lord, take care of them and let me get through this road that's been put in front of me. What goes around comes around. They will get their judgment day. And the amazing thing was, Teresa, it, was, it wasn't a gradual process of forgiving. It was an instant mindset change. It was, it was an instant release. It was like, like I was holding a secret for years and years, so worried that people were going to find out. And then one day I just decided I'm going to tell the guys. It was like, it's out, it's over. And it was that, it was that mindset change. It was, it was freeing myself. It was nothing to do with them. And that's the lesson in forgiveness. And it's such a, you know, you, you can forgive, forget, and move forward, or you can retain, remember, and regret. The choice is yours. And if you say, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget, then you still remember and will never move forward. You can't bounce back from anything unless you forgive those who you believe have done you wrong. And only when you forgive and let go of the past can you be fully free to move forward with your full potential. Teresa, one of the other big lessons I learned was gratitude. You know, we all want too much in our lives and, and concentrating on what we haven't got instead of being grateful for what we have. And for me, giving thanks to God every day goes a long way. For my health, a beautiful family, a lovely home, a soft bed, running water, and so on. When there's no food, no water, and people are dying all around you, you become grateful for, for the fact that you're still breathing. And another day is a blessing. When you lie in a cell with 78 other guys and your breath is, is not even your own, gratitude suddenly has a different meaning altogether. Accepting that what I went through cannot be changed and being grateful for what it taught me has unlocked my vision for my future. The healthiest of all, of all human emotions is gratitude. Remember that and practice it. Having an attitude of gratitude is one of the most impactful habits for a fulfilling and healthy life. After being moved to, to a farm prison, after eight years, I was moved to, to a farm prison. And it was my first evening sitting around an open fire on old logs and bleached cattle skulls, chatting with old Ndebele inmates. Ndebele is a tribe in Zimbabwe. Just taking me back to what I loved so dearly as a child. And I remember getting lost in the interesting stories and the beauty of the sunset and the dancing flames the tranquil call of a nacho, and the bright stars on the moon, which I hadn't seen for eight lonely long years. I never saw a sunset or sunrise either for eight years. And now I appreciate the everyday little things in life, like a soft bed, a hot bath, a tasty meal, a spontaneous cuddle from a loved one, because those are the things you miss most when you have it all taken away. There are things we know that rejuvenate us. For me, it has always been nature. I am, and will forever be, a farm boy from Zimbabwe. Nature's in my blood. 
touching a tree, smelling the earth, the feeling of soil in my hands. These things bring me restoration. And for you, it might be hanging out with friends, dancing, reading a good book, or swimming in the ocean. Whatever is good for you, do more of it. There are many other life lessons that I learned, Teresa, but, but I want to touch on an encounter I had with the Lord that changed my life completely. Because the, de- the death rate was so bad in, 2000, in June 2006, prison headquarters started allowing relatives to deliver food to their loved ones daily. And my darling sister sold her business and gave up her career just to feed me for four years. And I can honestly say that without her, I wouldn't be sitting here today. I'm truly blessed to have in my life. Anyway, she, she came to, I'd been moved to a medium security prison, which is very different to maximum security. Maximum security locked up for 12, 12, uh, 20 hours a day in a cell. You're only allowed out four hours in the exercise yard. Medium security, you're allowed out eight hours. So it's, it's very different. She came to the prison and she said to me whilst delivering food one day, do you want an iPod? So I said, well, what's an iPod? She said, it's a thing that plays music. So I said, well, how big is it? And she indicated this small, flat little thing. So I said, well, how many songs does it play? She said, oh, about a thousand. I said, no ways. So where do you put all the CDs? That's how much technology had advanced. In just six years, I'd been away. Anyway, the following day, the, the iPod arrived under the salad. And about a week later, a cell phone was sneaked into in one of those cheap Nokia cell phones with a rechargeable battery back in 2009. And everything was going smoothly and you couldn't dream of doing that in a maximum security prison. This is medium security prison. After about three months, everything going perfectly, an envious prisoner reported me. After an unexpected search, unbelievably through some quick maneuvering with on-site guards, nothing was discovered. But I was sent to solitary confinement anyway for two years. That was unbelievably lonely. But after experiencing that precious little link to the outside world, I had to get my phone back. And I did, which was amazing. I mean, I had wonderful gods charging batteries. I had two batteries. And everything was going perfectly until after 18 months, one of the friendly gods approached my spiral at five in the morning and whispered, Russ, they're coming for your phone. And there's no way of getting a phone out of there. But someone had brought me a protein powder about a month before. And I'd never seen it before, and it had to go through the doctor and security. It was a big big story to get it in there. And when I got it, I opened it, broke a silver seal, tasted it. When I put the seal back and closed it, the next time I opened that seal, it stuck. So I saved it to hide my phone. So that morning, I opened it, broke the seal, took half the powder out, wrapped the phone in plastic, put it in, put the powder back, put the seal, put the lid on. Six o'clock, the guards arrive. What they do is they make you strip naked. Then you jump with your legs open like you're hiding something. Then we all walk out, stock naked into the courtyard, and there's 1,200 guys, and they do the search. So after the search, I come back into my cell, and everything is upside down everywhere, but my protein powder still in good shape. Five minutes later, I'm summoned to the security office, and I walk in there, and there are four guards standing, one seated behind a desk and an empty chair. Now, I hadn't sat in a chair for seven and a half years, and he says to me, take a seat. So I sat down. Felt good. He said, do you have a girlfriend called Karen? So I said, no. Nah. I said, I had one before prison called Karen. He said, okay, when did you last talk to her? I said, long ago, before prison. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah. So he handed me a letter addressed to me from Karen 
Sen har jag tagit det där fönnen där när jag sen ser positivt. After some intense questioning, this Lord just came to me and I said, now Karen was having lunch in Bulawaya and she met this lady and they soon realized that they were both had boyfriends in the same prison. So the lady said, well, let me call my boyfriend, who's a guard in there, and he can call Russ and you guys can have a chat. So I'll use the guard's phone. But after I couldn't tell them what the guard's name was, they didn't buy it. An hour later, I'm escorted up to the officer in charge's office. When you go up there, it's big trouble. And I walk in there and they were waiting. There's like 15 big brass officers all standing in a half circle. Officer in charge behind his big desk and my empty chair in the middle. He says, take a seat. So I sat down. He said, if you don't tell me what that God's name is, your life in this prison is going to change. I said, officer, I don't know his name. And then the question started. How tall was he? How old? What rank? Where did you make the call? How long ago did you make the call? And I answered as best I could, and they were getting furious because they couldn't nail in anything. And then the head of the soccer said to me, do you want to talk to the officer in charge on your own? So I said, yes, please. So they all leave. I closed the door. And him and I got on really well. I said, officer, we've both been through hell. We watched hundreds of guys die. I've donated endless stuff to the prison service, soccer balls, volleyballs, volleyball net, soccer boots, and uniforms for the squad. I said, can't you just let this one go? I mean, the guards were stealing flat out there. Um, everyone in mean, the country was in a mess. He said, Russ, I don't care about you, but I want that guard's name now. He was furious. So I said, well, officer, I don't know his name. I didn't know his name. So he said, okay. He calls the guards. He says, put him on death row in the dark cell. So they escorted me over to the condemned section. They used to hang guys in those days. And there were 56 cells. 52 had guys waiting to be hung. And there were four four empty cells and one of them was called the dark cell. The cells are three meters, three yards long, one yard wide and three yards tall with a vent. And the only vent was covered by a staircase so, and the electric light didn't work. So you couldn't see anything. It was pitch black. They made me strip naked, gave me three worn out, filthy, lice-ridden blankets, five liter, which is a gallon container cut off the top as a toilet, same as solitary and one liter of water. And my solitary cell was identical, three yards by one yard by three yards. They locked me in there for 23 hours and 45 minutes a day. So I was allowed out five minutes in the morning to clean my teeth, five minutes at 10 o'clock to have a shower, five minutes at three o'clock to prepare for lockup. It was cold, lonely, and dark, like being buried alive. I couldn't even see my hand. And I remember walking and just holding the walls and turning around and walking, doing press-ups and carry on walking just to just to keep my mind okay. After day six, Teresa, and I tested my faith all along and prayed like crazy and nothing happened. So so I hadn't prayed for, for a long time. But I got on my knees and I prayed to God for help. And I'll never forget the feeling of like warm water being poured over me and a total sense of calmness. So I sat on the floor, leaning against the wall, Within 30 minutes, I faintly heard my Afrikaans mate shouting from the soccer ground, Hey, Russ, everything's okay, my mate. Don't worry. Everything's okay. So I jumped up. I said, hey, fool. He said, don't worry, Russ. Everything's okay. So I thought, okay. Laid on the concrete, looking up at the darkness. Within 10 minutes, I unlocked my door. Gargan, on those bolts. That noise goes right through you. Chucked me my clothes. Said the officer charge wanted to see you. I get dressed, I go out into the blinding sun, across the courtyard, up the stairs to his office. And his exact words were, he said, hello, Russ. I said, hello, officer. He said, have you remembered the girl's name yet? I said, no, officer. He said, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to leave it in God's hands. You can go back to your cell. And at the exact moment when I was praying, a sister was paying him 200 US dollars to get me out of there. And that was a huge turning point in my spiritual life. You know, Abram, and, and then when he came, became Abram, he had to change uh, the truth sometimes to, to get by. And my life has changed unbelievably. You know, I still didn't go home for two and a half years, but I knew that there was a bigger picture. I knew somehow inside that there were bigger plans for me. It, it was extremely hard to make sense of it all back then, but I see it so clearly now how the Lord was working with me. You know, before prison, I was a, a big fish in a little pool going nowhere, a little Bulawayo. It's a city in Zimbabwe. And, and I was one of the big players in there. And it was all about me, Teresa. It was all about my empire and my money and more and more. And, and when is enough enough, you know? And now... I'm a little fish in a whole wide world making a huge difference. And it's about others. It's about other people. It's not about me anymore. It's about changing, changing other people's lives. And, and I now have a purpose. And the satisfaction I get from helping others far outweighs the millions I was making before. And, and the lesson here, Teresa, is, is no matter what hardships you're going through in life, just remember that you're being prepared for where you're going. God has a plan for each and every one of us. And I see that so clearly in my life now. Yeah. That is just an amazing story. And I just thank you for going through that whole thing. I can't even imagine that level of peace and such a hard, hard. Sandra, I want to give you a yeah. chance before we go. Do you have anything that you want to say to the Radical Abundance audience? I came from a place where I had the career, the big house, the cars, the material. And I did have a bit of peace, but nothing like today. And since I met Rusty, it's really a divine appointment from the Lord because we came together where we had nothing. And we, you know, I was 53 when I met him. So it's much later in life. So there's always hope when you think that it's the end and your life is over. And you lose everything. But when you've got the Lord in your life and you trust him, he always restores. He's always there. He really is. It's just been a wonderful journey. The last six years, Rusty and I have had so many experiences with, with the Lord and what he's done for us. Just small things. And it's not about us anymore. It's not about building our life and our empire. It's really about helping people. You know, the Lord's given us that heart that whatever he wants us to do, we want to do for him. After hearing this story, there aren't going to be many people complaining about their lot in life. This is such a testimony because, you know, I could easily say, Rusty and Sandra, you are amazing people, but you were absolutely right that this type of forgiveness and finding gratitude in these circumstances, it is not humanly possible and so the glory goes to god because he gave that to you out of his grace and mercy and now you've shared it with us so thank you for being on radical abundance today we definitely have seen an abundance of god's grace and mercy and our time is up i'm sorry to say and rusty and sandra i wish you a radically abundant day Thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs>